11, I talked to Lily Diamond, author of the cookbook Kale and Caramel and co-host of the new podcast, What's Your Story? In our conversation, Lily and I talk about the powerful relationship she had with her late mother, why female friendships are so important to her, and why she believes turning into grief is ultimately the way to overcome it. To my life and my identity, Hmm. Uh, and I definitely think a lot of that was forged with my mom and the the space that we held for each other. My mom was, um, she was the youngest of, uh, not of her whole, of all of her siblings. She had a younger brother who came much later than her, mm-hmm. but there were three daughters and she was the youngest of that initial trio mm-hmm. of kids. And when she came along, she was supposed to be a boy, and mm. they had already picked out a name for her, which was Denny, or for him, I should say, which was mm-hmm. Denny Jean. Wow. And they just gave her that name. They were like, they couldn't be bothered to pick out another name. So mm. her name was Denny Jean, and they sort of foisted on her this identity around um, being, like, not really one of the group. They just, they, they kind of uttered her right from the get-go, which looked like, you know, they gave her a pinafore that she would wear that had embroidered on it the word, me too, because she would always, like, run around, run around wow. going, like, me too, me too, because she wanted to be included and felt left Aww. out. And so I grew up with, it's really interesting to, like, look at the psychologies that we grew up with, right? And totally. And I, mm-hmm. I was an only child. My mom didn't think that she was going to be able to have me, have mm-hmm. any kids, and then had me when she was 38. Mm-hmm. Um, she had scarring in her fallopian tubes from a botched IUD removal mm-hmm. really early on, like, wow, not in the days of current IUDs. Yeah. Um, I was, and, yeah. Yeah. So she didn't know that she was able to have kids, and then... I came along and it really felt from the beginning like we were in a club of our mm, own. I love that. I think that I was the the company, the best friend, mm. the the sibling, the family that she didn't necessarily feel like she got with her own parents and her own upbringing Mm -hmm. um and so and I really thrived off of that and at the same time there were things that about it that were damaging I Mm. think um Mm. in the sense that I really inherited or she passed down to me that same sense of otherness and that sense Mm. that like the only place we really belonged was with each other in surprise and so I as I grew older, I always saw myself as socially separate. Hmm. And I think that there were ways in which that manifested very specifically, completely having nothing to do with my mom. Like yeah. I was growing up in Hawaii where, you know, I, I didn't look like the people who belonged right. there, quote mm-hmm. unquote belonged there. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I have red hair and very fair skin I have a severe lack of melanin <laughs> and like I can't do anything about it. Right. Know, except right. To get burned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, you know, I was teased for how I looked and, mm. 
you know, people would ask me what was wrong with my skin, what was wrong with my hair. And so I felt that separateness and that, Hmm. that wasn't connected to, that wasn't born out at home. Like my parents were deeply loving and supportive of me, but it definitely played into this sense that I have of like, well, I have safety with my mom Mm -hmm. and my dad and, you know, maybe some other elders. Um, but then I would really seek out these close female friendships Mm. and those to me, I think were absolutely reminiscent of what I experienced with my mother. And particularly as I went into college, um, I also, you know, went off to college and went somewhere super far away. Um, Mm. I, I wouldn't even look at schools on the West coast. I went from Maui over to the East coast Mm -hmm. and, um, I I think there was a sense, a little bit of my wanting to be in a place where I might see more people who looked like me. I know this sounds mm. weird because I, you know, I we're in a time where representation is very much sure. taken into account and discussed, and we it's mostly and rightly so discussed around communities of color and people of color and um mm-hmm. and as it should be so i don't mean to sound like that at all like there are no, no of, not at all plenty yeah. of white people and plenty of redheads everywhere but it was right. just for me powerful your, to be in your a personal space. experience for sure yeah yeah and so yeah. i i as i uh grew older i think i started to realize that i really thrived on friendships that were so close that there was almost like a romantic tenor to them mm. in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, like, not like in me. Yeah. Almost like Anna Green Gables and Diana. Like I always think of that. Percent. Right. Like that, yeah. that friendship to me is like bosom yeah. buddies, like soulmates. Yeah. Totally. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. Like not in any way sexual. Yeah. But, no, I, right. but, but in this deep soul, yeah, in this deep, deep soul connection where you mm-hmm. feel like this person knows me so profoundly and I can tell them anything. I can, you know, we belong together. And mm-hmm. I think I really got that sense of belonging. And I and I think I've, I've continued to in some ways mm-hmm. um, in, in all my friendships. And I think it also took me a long time because of the closeness I had both with my mom and with my father as well, like the closeness mm-hmm. we had as a triad right? to, to really understand that it's okay not to feel that kind of closeness with everybody. That's true. <laughs> and yeah. I really had to individuate um, mm. and understand that there's actually, there's power too in keeping some aspect of self sovereign yeah. And um and in in not, you know, crossing all of the boundaries all of the time with right. everyone that I love. Into like this intense sort of intimate bond. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Right, right. And to feel and sometimes it can be awkward when you meet someone and you don't feel that connection with them and you wonder why, you know? Yeah. And and if you if you long for that or if you crave for that kind of yes, intense absolutely. connection. Yeah. Yeah. And I think mm. too, you know, I've had it, it, 
happens that certain relationships or, you know, certain friendships, obviously, of course, this happens in relationships, but certain friendships may, you know, break down for different reasons and, mm-hmm. or, you know, somebody disappears out of a friendship. Right. And when that happened, um, I think I really had to, I had to learn to, to, to reckon with that. And mm. especially in the wake of losing my mom to find ways, um, not to let it shake my entire sense of self, mm. not to constantly compound or reopen that wound of, of losing my mother. Right. Yeah. Did you go to therapy or how did you process that? Oh yeah. 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 I, I, and a part of actually what inspired me to go to therapy was that my father and I were grieving so differently Mm. and his dying body for Mm. like every single night and next to this body that was, you know, decaying. Mm. And she had endometrial cancer. It was wow. really late stage when it was diagnosed. And mm-hmm. I think about that and about how how unspeakably difficult and mm-hmm. scary and disturbing that must mm-hmm. have been for right. him. Right. And so, you know, I was there. I moved home. I was coming out of a really intense breakup that happened um, just a couple of days before my mother was diagnosed, just very oh strange God. and terrible timing. Yeah. Um, and so I moved home both to help care for her and also because I was coming out of this breakup, mm. been with it. He had processed it in different ways than I had, and I was really, really deep in grieving. And he was relatively soon thereafter ready to have a new partner. Mm. And not somebody that would replace her, but mm-hmm. a new part who didn't sure. want to be alone. And, yeah. And so that was really difficult for me to deal with. I can imagine. And, and I, and so a lot of what inspired me to, to get to therapy was I was like, this is horrible. Like I'm, mm. I was having such a hard time dealing with what I felt I needed from him versus what he was able to give me when he was right. just in a state where he wanted to be like having he fun. To, he wanted and he wanted to feel better. And and that's the way that you can quickly feel better is by totally not finding replacement but finding finding companionship. Yes. Um completely. But, but from your perspective that's in a sense hurtful. So yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. just complex and difficult and so yeah. helpful for me to be in therapy and mm. Um, and then, you know, as I uh, as I went through that and through this time, I went through a really big life shift where mm. I I was at the time teaching mm-hmm. um, yoga and meditation and philosophy, like yoga philosophy and mm-hmm. um, uh, Buddhist philosophy full time. Okay, and that that was my my work, and you know, I had always been. I'd always been a writer. That had always mm-hmm. been my focus. And um, and so I was writing and I was teaching. Mm-hmm. But as I well, – both my parents were yogis. I was born into that world. And as mm-hmm. I kind of went through watching my mom's illness and her death and really started questioning a lot of 
the truths that I had held to be um, that had become my my belief system from mm-hmm. my childhood, and then also what I had taken on as I, you know, studied and then began teaching yoga and yoga philosophy. Um, I realized that a lot of it I didn't believe, and mm. you know, going back to belonging, so many of these I. I, ideologies I had taken on because they allowed me to belong to, to something and yeah. they gave me a community to, to belong to where not only could I sort of thrive because I'm a good student and you know I believed in certain of these things to a degree and they sound good mm-hmm. but also because um, I had I was born into it and I was able to like have a certain cachet around the way that I communicated these ideas because I was kind of steeped in them. Right. And and so it allowed me where before I felt like I was out of place where I wasn't socially um, really being accepted. It was like, oh, here was a space where people celebrated every aspect of who I was. Mm-hmm. And if, if if I subscribed to their ideologies. Right. That was the trade off. Right. Exactly. There was that, that condition. Right. That and one so, condition. That one condition. And mm. so as I watched my mom, my mom's life and a lot of the things that she believed kind of decompose because mm. she also, you know, I was raised vegetarian and that was a part. My mom was sort of seen as like this pinnacle of health in her community. She was an aromatherapist and an herbalist mm-hmm. and she was just like this, you know, healthy, vibrant woman. That was how everyone saw her and that was how right. I saw her. And I was, you know, raised to think like, well, if I want to do things right, I do things exactly the way that, that my parents did them. Mm. And so I, I grew up thinking that and, you know, the yoga world played into that as well. It confirmed that belief. And then moving, you know, watching her get ill, first of all, that in and of itself was so unthinkable because she was, as I said, seen as this just epitome of health. And right. um and so that was the first sort of breakdown. And then mm-hmm. she, you know, was told by an oncological nutritionist that she needed to start eating some meat. And at mm-hmm. the time I was a like hardcore animal rights activist vegan and so that was another level of sort of breakdown it's like whoa Mm. because I realized that she had some shame around asking me to cook with animal products for her and I was mortified that I had become the kind of person that my dying mother would feel ashamed to ask me to do that for Mm. and I realized oh I don't I don't actually think I believe this the way that I need to in order to be as hardcore about it as as I am portending to be Mm. because I would probably like kill an animal for her now if it would make her better, you know? Sure, totally. Wow, that's Um, powerful. So realizing that was really, was really profound and um, I, I was going through all of that as I was in therapy and like, sort of picking that apart and realizing that there were these parts of myself that I 
needed to tend to and really question of what I, what did I believe? What, what was it that I believed and how did that look in my day-to-day life? And so as that happened, I realized that I really wanted to stop being held in this seat of a teacher of yoga philosophy of, you know, all, all of these different elements that I was holding and I was terrified to step away because first of all, it was my source of income. Right. And second of all, because, um, it was my identity. It was, mm-hmm. you know, I was dating somebody who was, uh, you know, another guy who was a yogi. I was, I had met the, you know, the boyfriend before at our yoga teacher training. Mm. Um, it, you know, I had a harmonium. I led mm. kirtans. It was, I mean, just every part of who I was. It was your world, yeah. It was my world, and I was living also on a very small island, and that was how everyone knew me. Mm. And I felt like I just wanted to be able to strip it all away and right. just go back to the, the baseline of what I knew about myself and who I mm. was. Yeah. And so I decided... I, what I really wanted to do was take time off from teaching and just go back to writing. Mm. Take three mm-hmm. months and just write and see mm. what it was that came out of that. Wow. And I ended up taking a um, a class. I saw, I was looking at classes far away, like on the okay. East Coast. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do some kind of, you know, crazy like right. Maui hippie crystal yoga workshop. I was sure. like, I can't do that. I don't want that. <laughs> right. And so I was looking, you know, just all over at yeah. workshops I might do. And then I got uh-huh. an email from the Yale Alumni uh, Club on Maui, which, okay. you know, is, is not very many people. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yes, I can imagine. It's not a vast, yeah, <laughs> not a vast, vast group of, of humans. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, it was addressed, it was titled something like, you know, welcome bestselling author Rebecca Walker. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was this email that, you know, nobody was BCC'd because mm-hmm. it's very casual. Like, just right. everyone's BCC'd. And, um, and uh, it was saying, you know, we're so thrilled to welcome bestselling author Rebecca Walker to Maui. Mm-hmm. She's teaching this. Um, art of memoir master class and it was starting mm. the day after I was um, taking time leaving my job and I was wow. like what this is crazy that is and I know and I was like yeah. this is so weird mm-hmm. and I wasn't familiar with Rebecca at the time um, mm-hmm. but I because our e- our email addresses were visible Right. Hers was on there, and so I just emailed her very, you know, off the cuff and just said, mm-hmm. hi, I'm so interested in this workshop. I would love to hear more about it and about your work, mm. and I sent it, and after I sent it, I was like, I'm going to, you know, Wikipedia this for Google this person, and so I Google it, and her Wikipedia page comes up, and I'm immediately, like, mortified that I sent this mm. email to her. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, this you know, she's the daughter of Alice Walker, mm. and and like the she you know was one of the founders of third wave feminism. I was like, mm. what I, this? What have I done? Like this is insane. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was like, well, maybe she just won't write back, or you know, won't hear from her, or whatever. And somehow, 
within the more relatable it will be. Mm-hmm. And the more universal. What, yeah. Yeah. And what think. I found was when I was trying to speak in ways that were right in ways that were universal, mm-hmm. people did not connect. Right. And when I let things be messy and honest and super, super specific in a way that felt mm-hmm. so embarrassing to me, like, I yeah. can't possibly say this because nobody else has felt this way. I know I'm the only one. Mm-hmm. That was the whole room went, oh, yeah, I feel the same way. Right. And so that, for me, was a real awakening of, like, wow, the hardest thing is to be really honest with myself about who I am, about mm-hmm what is uh what my wounds are about what needs healing mm-hmm. and then to see all of that and also to be able to let it go right you know to not say okay I'm going to see all of that I'm going to make that who I am mm-hmm. but to see all of that and to say okay yes I see these elements of myself and I know that they are they may be parts of myself, but they're not the sum total of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not my, you know, the the depth of my suffering. That's right. a part of me. Um, and I can, you know, choose to be with that and to heal that as I may. But to really just take the first step of saying, here is where I hurt. And I am willing to look at that hurt and to be fully present with it because mm-hmm. I think it's in the turning away that we um that we really like we re injure ourselves. For sure. We're right. unwilling to to even hold ourselves close. And it's like if we can't do that then who else can? So true. So true. And it's it's sort of exposing it that helps release it. Totally. Versus holding it like you said, holding it in. Yeah. To that end, so you, I think what's interesting is you sort of started a movement on Instagram called hashtag Honest Insta. Um, what is it? What does it mean to you, and why is it important? I think it pertains to this this previous conversation. Yeah, totally. So I one day was I had a terrible headache. I was super frustrated with some, you know, business things that had to do with social media and for people who are, you know, in any way connected with business on social media, they'll know that there have been all kinds of shifts and changes with the algorithms on Facebook and Instagram and how that means that content shows up for people and it's made a lot of people very frustrated and it's kind of changed our relationship with how we communicate to our audiences. And so I had a, I was feeling terrible, frustrating day. I was still in my pajamas, even though I'd gone through a full day of work. And I saw this meme that had been posted by an account called Folk Rebellion mm-hmm. uh, that was a graphic art piece that said, don't forget to pretend to have your shit together for strangers on the Internet today. Right, right, yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> that's it. That yeah. that's that sums the whole thing up. And so mm-hmm. 
I posted it and I was like, this is so great. I just shared it on stories and I was like, this yeah. is so great. And I so just completely off the cuff. I was like, I'm going to, you know, here's what's actually going on for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to share, can you, you know, use this hashtag on this instant so I can, you know, speaking of like witnessing for ourselves or each other, I was like, just so right. that I can like witness you and acknowledge whatever state you're in. Mm. And I had no intention, you know, that it would take, like, catch quickly mm-hmm. as it did. I think I would have, if I had, I would have put more thought into the hashtag. But um, it, it works, though. Just Im- yeah. Totally. It worked. Yeah. Simple. But immediately, people were just catching on and posting selfies mm. of the, you know, whatever disheveled state they were in or whatever, you know, the hard day that they had had or maybe the really joyful day or just the honest mm. state that they were in. Right. And the the idea was that I really wanted to own this sense that Instagram is just a space for us to post highly curated images of um the the kind of best moments of our lives. And I think it's wonderful for that to happen. And it absolutely should. Like we, you know, we should be able to post whatever we like. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I do really think there's this sense that um, we want to post what we think is going to get the most likes or do, or, you know, perform the, at the best level that it can or or make people see us in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I, I was certainly guilty of it and I certainly still am. Um, But I wanted to sort of just crack open that space Mm -hmm. to let people have a little bit more room to be fully themselves. And what was so interesting was, you know, by the end of the week, I mean, there were just, hundreds and hundreds of posts popping up and it you know somebody people started saying you know Lily Diamond you created this movement I was like a movement I don't I was, I was just having a bad day well, um, and that's all it takes that's totally totally and so I was like okay well I guess you know sure like I'm happy to stand for this but what was so fascinating yeah. was that then um, it became this thing where different people started saying the honest instant movement, which is about dot, dot, dot. And mm-hmm. it was, mm. the, sometimes it would be what I had meant it to be about, but other right. times it wasn't at all. Like yeah. for some people, suddenly it was like honest instant is about taking selfies to show what we really look like without makeup. And I was like, mm. that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, that's not <laughs> what I was thinking, but sure. Why not? Right. And then other people, you know, were really posting, would post crying selfies or would post, mm. um, it started, you know, veering into the territory of, of mental illness and depression mm. and um, eating disorders. And mm. I, that then for me became like, wow, I, it was then was very tempting. I dedicated a, a day of the week. I just said, you know, Mondays, we're go- mm. it's going to be for Honest Insta. Um, because it got to the point where I was like, I can't keep just resharing things constantly. 
Um, and so I, and I wanted, I thought it would be nice for people to know, well, there's this day. And if you want to participate on that day, you know, here's a reminder to do so. But I started feeling like, oof, like I don't want, I firmly do not believe that social media is in any way a replacement for therapy or for, you know, the, the qualified help of a, psychological or psychiatric health provider mm-hmm. um, and I really it really scared me that there was this that kind of implication of like oh finally a space where we can talk about these issues hashtag mm. honest insta right and while I think that that's great and I'm I'm thrilled that that is happening or that that was happening and and I think still is um, it was uh, somebody um, had me on another podcast to to speak about this, actually, mm-hmm. and I got to share, well, you know, I, I really think, like, I do not want to diminish in any way the importance of, of getting help from qualified mental health professionals. Right. <laughs> because we just, I think there is this sense that the confessionality and the immediacy of um, social media lends itself to feeling like, oh, I can I can post this and people will give me some little hit of um, you know of comfort mm. and maybe that's enough to get me through the next like five minutes or the next twenty four hours, but that is not in any way addressing like the root cause mm-hmm. and right. in some cases I think can actually exacerbate it. Sure. Yeah. And so. Basically, I just saw, wow, this is really, it's interesting. I had to hold myself back at the same time from saying, this is what Honest Insta is and this is what it isn't. Because I knew Mm -hmm. that if I started doing that, it would just end up, you know, snowballing into some crazy thing. Yeah, Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to do this. So, you know, it's going to be whatever it is and I'm, I'm going to let, you know, have minimal interaction with curating the space, um, <laughs> ironically. Yeah, it's just, yeah because, yeah. like, just let it be what it is. And I every Monday I hold the space for Honest Insta, and it makes me cool. so happy to just click through and look at mm. the that hashtag Honest Insta feed on, on Instagram. I highly recommend doing that. It's yeah, very inspiring yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, because people are sharing all kinds of things and it became mm. about body positivity and it became about tired, exhausted mothers sharing about, you know, the challenges they had with their toddlers and it mm. became about, you know, people of uh, interracial relationships uh, mm. and the complexities of dealing with that and having kids with an inter- it was just like mm-hmm. all of these different aspects that I find so beautiful and mm. I really hope the conversations continue um, mm. because I do think that we can't we have so much opportunity to inspire each other in what we talk about online and for sure and when we yeah. see each other being more vulnerable and honest in that way I, d- I do think that it it ripples out. Right. It for sure does. It for sure does. So for those who say who aren't as inclined to share, you know, hashtag honest Insta moments and who may struggle with being open and vulnerable, who, 
what kind of advice would you give those people? Well, it's interesting. I know some people who just flatly say, that's not how I use social media. Mm-hmm. And I really respect that. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, social media is, has not always been around and who knows if it always will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that we always have the opportunity to, um, to tend to our human relationships and to foster mm-hmm. connection. For and sure. so I think if you are somebody who feels hesitant to share something about yourself, I would just think about it in terms of deepening connection to the people that you love. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that you want to share on social media but you don't know how, imagine that you're talking to you know, your best friend. Um, imagine that you know, they're, that you're just talking in a very safe space and know that, as I was talking about with my writing, that the strange, the, the quirks, the weirdness, like all of that freaky stuff that you feel so scared to talk about in yourself, that that is literally the bedrock of what will endear people to you and what will make people identify with what you're going through Mm -hmm, for sure yeah I totally agree with that um do you recently co-launched a podcast called what's your story um what was the inspiration behind that yeah so um Rebecca who I was speaking about earlier we she and I continued to work together after I took that first course with her and Mm -hmm. Um, I started assisting some of the the courses that she was teaching, and then as we worked together, we, um, as I, you know, I was studying with her, I was helping to assist, and we ended up developing this um, project called, at the time, Right to Wellbeing, but also What's Your Story was the mm-hmm. um, in-person course that we taught, and mm-hmm. that was all the way back in 2011, which is amazing mm-hmm. to think about. Um, and what's your story was a, and is a method of using writing prompts to help excavate and understand and articulate and then rewrite the stories that we tell about who we are. Mm. And so it could be for writers, um, but it's really just for anyone who has a deep interest in understanding the narratives that kind of run their lives. And mm-hmm. um, and so we started this in 2011 and um, fast forward to today, and we are uh, writing a book that's an interactive or sort of guided journal um, that will be out from Sounds True in 2020. Cool. And the podcast is a space for us to take that um, what's your story method and really be with it, sit with it mm. with people. And so that. we decided to do this first season um, on women in politics leading up to the midterms because uh, it was just such, we could, we just couldn't pass it up. It was like, this is, these are women who have obviously so profoundly rewritten the stories of their lives to show up, um, mm. to serve their communities, to serve our 
people, to serve our country, and we want to hear from them. And we also wanted to uplift their stories and really make sure that we were um, sharing their voices and their stories mm. and their their campaigns with as many people as we could in this right. very fraught moment politically. Right. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, and w- what would you say, what's been the most interesting story you've, or person you've interviewed so far? Oh, my gosh. They uh, are all. I'm sure they so, are. Right? As I asked that I, question, I, I know that's probably not a fair question to ask. Well, so. and I'm so invested that I was telling mm-hmm. Rebecca on the day that we launched, um, which was a couple weeks ago now, mm-hmm. as our uh, Instagram was, you know, being populated with all of the pictures of all of these women. I mm. was telling, I said to Rebecca, I feel like a proud mother on wow. my picture day, looking yeah. at all of her kids and their school pictures, mm. um, because I just, you know, I, we, I have invested everything into the podcast and um, really wanting to champion these women in whatever, you know, ways that, that I can and however Rebecca and I can. And Rebecca has a, you know, deep history in activism and um, her parents were both, you know, profound leaders in the civil rights movement. And so mm. I have just been learning so much. I mean, wow. it has felt to me like a real crash course in civic engagement in a lot of ways because mm. um, my political involvement is new. Right. And I think that's something that I I wish I could communicate to people because I do think a lot of the, the people who are my readers and in my audience um, – don't necessarily think of themselves as being super politically engaged. Mm-hmm. And I also wasn't. And yet in the wake of the 2016 election, I felt like I had no choice but to sort of activate on that mm. level. And mm. I didn't know how. And I knew that I was going to make a lot of mistakes and say a lot of things that probably made me sound really dumb. And I was mm. like, I don't care. Yeah, because I I don't have a choice. If I want to live in the kind of world that I say I do, I have to take responsibility for my part in that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so Rebecca, of sorts, has she sort of become a surrogate? I, she's certainly a mentor, but in light of your mom's passing, has she in some ways filled that role? It's interesting. I don't feel that way. Um, mm-hmm. And a part of it is because I think our work has been so connected to yeah. our, or our, I should say, because our relationship has been so connected to our work together. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I really just see her more as a teacher and a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, in some ways, I think I am in ways that I am both proud of and not proud mm. of, mm-hmm. always looking for elements of mothering from my close relationships. And yeah. certainly did that with my father to the mm-hmm. detriment of our relationship. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think I learned because I wanted him to be and relate to me the way that my mom had. And he couldn't. Sure. He didn't know how to be my mom. Right. Right. And so I think yeah. I've really had to learn not to, pro- to to do that kind of projecting onto people mm-hmm. because it only ends up usually just damaging the mm-hmm. relationship. And I also have found that I found it tremendously creepy when people would try to, to mother me. Yeah, sure. And so I actually really appreciate and appreciated, like, the relationships that I have with um, women who are, you know, older women in my life who did not insinuate that position Mm, in any way. Sure, yeah, and brought to the relationship a, a different sort of dynamic, but that totally. was also equally rich. Yeah. Yeah. And, and nurturing and mm-hmm. uplifting and all of the things, but just this sense that when it's always very evident and I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know if you've lost a parent. I hope you no. haven't. Not, not but yet. I mm-hmm. think it's probably like a pretty common experience that there will always be those people who mm-hmm. think they are going to somehow just become your surrogate parent. Mm-hmm. And certainly I think there are times when that's warranted, perhaps with very close family or I don't know, but on the whole, it just feels icky to me. I don't know. Yeah. There's something about it that I'm like, just don't do that, please. Sure. No, that's under, that's totally understandable, especially given that you've been in the, and, and have had such an incredible relationship with your mom for the better part of your life so far. So, exactly. Yeah, it's not like you were ever lacking that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so to wrap up, um, I wanted to, you know, ask you if there was anything else you wanted to talk about or share, um, future projects or anything that you wanted to share to this audience. Um, just to take a listen to what's your story after you finish listening to this lovely episode. Um, yeah. I think that there's a lot of hope there. And mm-hmm. that to me has been the most exciting part of the project is to hear the hope both of, of these women candidates um, in the space of, you know, their, their campaigns and their running, but also um the hope that they sort of generate just in who they are and what they stand for. Um, and, and I think we all are in profound need of, of hope always. Mm-hmm. So for sure. Yeah, for sure. And how, where, where and how they, can they find your podcast? Yeah. So the podcast is what's your story with a question mark um, with Rebecca Walker and Lily Diamond. And it's on, anywhere you would listen to podcasts. So um, please tune Apple. in. Okay. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on Stitcher, on Google, all Great. of the places. All of the places. And do you have a website as well for What's Your Story? Yeah. Um, I'll just send – there is a website for What's Your Story, but you can also find all of that info on, on your website. Uh, com, which okay. that will have, you know, info on my book. Um, on that, you know, can get you to um, Instagram and over to the podcast. And my Instagram is just my name at Lily Diamond at Lily Diamond. And then I. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment and be sure to check us out on social media, on Instagram at Interrelate Podcasts, on Facebook and Twitter, and head over to our website at interrelatepodcast.com. See you next week.